2: And we are live, December 14th edition of the MMA Industry Podcast. I am, of course, James Lynch. And uh, if you haven't seen this podcast before, basically, we talk to people who are in the mixed martial arts industry, Uh, speak to a lot of journalists, and I've got a great one here for us today, uh, Hunter Homosek. He is a mixed martial arts journalist and also a marketing coordinator for Flow Sports. Hunter, what's going on? How are you?
3: Oh, man, it's amazing. A ton of snow here in Pittsburgh, which I'm sure you can relate to being in Canada. I mean, that's year-round there, right? So the snow sucks, but it's always nice being interviewed by you, man. The best in the business at this. It's an honor.
2: And and I appreciate that. And of course, I got, I got a you know, full disclosure here. Hunter and I work together over at Flow Combat, and uh, we've been friends for a couple of years now. And uh, the, the way I always like starting this podcast is kind of telling uh, our listeners how um, my guests and I met. And you and I have met uh, a couple times in person uh but you remember the first time we met like in person do you remember this you're probably gonna drop blank on the spot already i don't think i do man i don't know okay you ufc ufc 205 in new york Oh,
3: okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. I remember that. I thought we were stretching back further, and there was a random like
2: UFC. Once- no. 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 This is. This is. As, <laughs> uh, no. That. That's. Uh, that. That was the only event, and I remember seeing you because uh, that was, uh, if you remember, the open workouts for that. That was on a Wednesday. We're at uh, Madison Square Garden, uh, and you know everyone was like shooting hoops and stuff, and there was a huge media turnout because obviously you know it was Conor McGregor, and uh, I just remember like seeing you in the crowd because uh, for those who don't know, Hunter's like seven foot two, like he's crazy <laughs> tall, so uh, he's very easy to spot. And I remember right away, I was like, hey, what's up? And uh, yeah, you know, I like we've, we've known each other for years, but it was cool to like finally get to meet you. And uh, yeah, so that that's sort of where Hunter and I uh, first sort of met. And, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's start right back at the beginning here, Hunter, uh, as far as your your foray into combat sports, where did it start for you? Were you like into pro wrestling? Were you into MMA from the beginning? Like what sort of got you into the, into the sport initially?
3: No, man. I know a lot of people do start with pro wrestling. It's funny. I never liked it. Like even as a kid, I was never into pro wrestling. I'm still not at all. I'll know names here and there, obviously, you know, the, the huge stars. So it's like I have friends that are super into it. So when they say somebody and I recognize his name, I'm like, oh, that's a big deal. Like if I know that guy, this one must really matter. But for MMA, it was actually my cousin. He's about 13 years older than me. I want to say my my cousin, his name's Blaney, and he used to always get the UFC pay-per-views, and we would just go to his house and and watch him with him. He was just a bachelor at the time, you know, out of out of out of college into the work life, and just on Saturdays he would get UFC pay-per-views, and it was always a fun little family thing to go there and watch some fights with him. And I got man, I got in late. Like I know a lot of people are pride never die and and <laughs> in it all in it all early for me, man. It, it was like Chuck and Tito were full-fledged in their feud and it was like randy couture tim sylvia was one of the first fights that i really remember so it was that era, you know uf 60 ish i would say Mm -hmm. right and i got into it so i I wasn't even you know the ultimate fighter one i was after that i feel like it was tough three four five ish when i got into it so kind of late man but it's it's an easy sport to fall in love with right you see a couple moments like randy couture tim sylvia that opening right hand and you're like this is for me yep
2: Yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, I I didn't get uh, into the sport that much, uh, you know, later than you did, or that much earlier than you did, I should say, because uh, I remember the first pay per view I watched was uh, Rich Franklin and Nate Quarry, and that wasn't that far off that card because I, I want to say that was UFC fifty six or something. It was it was close, but mind you, that was also when the UFC was doing like a pay per view every like couple months, so it was a little bit more spaced out, not like now where you get you know events like every weekend or whatever. Um, but wh- where was because you know I know you know you were you were doing like theater in high school. I know you did like you're into big into music and stuff. Where did you actually Actually start to start you know writing about the sport where did that sort of come from and do you remember the first thing you ever wrote I do actually man
3: this is funny it's uh it started in college the writing about it actually started in college so just to trace it back a little further I, I was in a uh, out, of, out of high school I actually went to college I went the pre-med route I was going to go to medical school to be a brain surgeon like that's that's a part of things that I don't know if that's ever been told, like, on air, that that part about me. But, yeah, I was actually going to go to med school. My sister is in med school. She's a doctor now. So it was kind of a logical progression for me. Out of high school, not really knowing what the hell I wanted to do, you know. You, you had some good SAT scores, some good offers. You're like, hey, you might as well go for broke and be a brain surgeon because that's that makes a lot of sense. But, uh, <laughs> you know, three years into that program, I I was doing fine, you know, academically wise, doing fine. Just realizing that, Hey man, like, do I really want to do this for the rest of my life? I, I don't fit, like I'm not passionate about this. I don't wake up every day. Like, Oh, I can't wait to learn some more biochemistry today. You know, it's like it just wasn't for me, but the whole time I was also writing on the side, but writing music reviews and reviewing CDs, writing about music, kind of keeping my toes in that music scene that you kind of alluded to.
1: And I was like, man, why
3: don't I just like try writing for the school's newspaper so I got in with the WVU's newspaper, West Virginia University's newspaper, started writing for them, covering some local events and things like that. And I was just like, man, like journalism, like I'm actually passionate about this. I get excited to go to these events and talk to these people. Uh, and it's a huge 180, right, for everybody, for my family, for my girlfriend and her family. <laughs> it's how you know, they think, they think she's maybe marrying into a brain surgeon, but now he's gonna be a writer? Like, oh man, there's no stability there. So it was a big, big decision, but ultimately it was one that I felt I needed to make and, and it's made all the difference. So yeah, just as far as writing about MMA though, it, in the journalism department, there was a course that was essentially a blogging course. It, this was probably 2012. So it was like teaching you how, how to blog basically effectively. And the first day you had to make a blog, you know, you had to pick a theme and a topic for your blog. And I was just like, ah, MMA, let's do it. Like, I like this. I feel like I could write about it. Let's, let's just try it. And then that, that was that, man. Interesting. The, first art, the first article was just some UFC preview, you know, an event preview. And the teacher was immediately like, hey, on the blog, we don't really want national topics. We want, like, hyper-local topics. So then it became me, like, getting invested in the regional West Virginia MMA scene, which was just starting then, like, just barely off the ground. So that was actually really fun getting to know the gym managers and all the local fighters and stuff like that, which has come full circle flow combat, right? That's funny that the regional scene kind of started it. And now we're back in the regional scene. But yeah, man, that, that, that was where it all began.
2: That, that's interesting. That's interesting. Now, you know, as far as, far as, far as, as, as you getting on Bleach Report, how did that start getting on
3: the him Yeah, it was just a site that I read all the time back then. You know, I would always go to Bleach Report cause I loved the lists I know that people hated their slideshows back in the day and thought it was cheap clicks and everything, but the lists were something that really drew me to them. I've, I've been a sucker for lists all this, my whole life, man. It's actually funny that I started with Bleach Report because my mom will always tell this story. Like the worst gift she ever got me was a typewriter. Because when I was like seven years old, she got me a typewriter and I would all day just make lists. I would rank things like my top 10 favorite cars, my top 10 favorite whatever. I was reeling the hockey back then, NHL players all day, you know, typing in. And and the typewriter, of course, click, 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 click. And you're slow. You know, you're seven years old. You're not typing fast. It's like this monotonous clicking. And she was like, that clicking sound used to drive me crazy. But it, it, it was funny because, you know, the list, and then I would gravitate towards Bleach Report doing the list. So one day, I was just on Bleach Report, and I noticed a little, like, ad on the side that said, want to join our team, you know, apply here. And that was it, man. I just clicked it. I submitted like two of my blog posts because that was all I had written at the time. And yeah. they're like, Hey, it seems like you know grammar and, and you've, you've got somewhat of a grasp on writing, you know, we'll give you a shot. And it started as just, you know, very low on the totem pole bleach report, very low level stuff. But the first day that I was officially a part of bleach report and had my profile and stuff, they they would rank their writers too on the side. There would be like a featured columnist section and you could see like lead writers. So I knew who their lead guys were. So the first day I was there, I messaged all of them. And I was just like, hey man, like anything I can do to help you out, I'll transcribe, I'll do this, I'll do nice. the work, any projects, let me in on that. And then, you know, a couple of them came through and, and from there they were like, hey, this kid, you know, cares more than the average kid, it seems like, and then they fast-tracked me in this. It was called like the feature featured columnist program or something like that. So they like kind of fast tracked me to get me a part of that team and, and I just did what they asked and worked hard and then that worked out.
2: Now, just for clarification, I'm sure you can talk about this now. Was that was this a paid gig back then or were you sort of just, cause I know sometimes Bleacher has uh, people, you know come on board that sort of write for free. When did that sort of take place when you're actually you know making a bit of money off of it?
3: Yeah, it did. It started for free. You know, at first I wasn't making anything. I was just trying to get my name out there, get some clips on my resume. And that was fine with me. You know, I didn't even want money at the time. It's not that I didn't want money. I didn't expect money or need money. But uh, after I became a part of that featured columnist program, then some money came into play. And Bleacher Report would kind of do a thing where on event nights they would kick out their specialty articles where I'm sure you've seen a few like real winners and losers, like grades, like things like that. And you would get, you know, X amount of dollars if you would take one of those. So it was like a volunteer kind of program. Like, you you want that extra money every month? Okay, well, then sign up to get these articles. So I I really like that. You know, that kind of stuff, those little incentives, side incentives always worked well for me. So that, that was cool, man. That just pushed me harder. So, yeah, Bleacher Report was not paid at first but then was paid and paid pretty decently, actually.
2: Yeah. And I, I, it's important to sort of note that just with the fact that, uh, you know, I've written for free num, like numerous times. And I think when you're starting out, you, you should have that mentality that, you know, you want to, you know, you just, you, you got to work on your skills, you know, you're not going to get a paid gig right, right out of the gate. So it's important to, you know, do like a small commitment and then sort of work your way up and, and get sort of, uh, you know, get your name sort of recognized and hone your skills and I think that's uh you know people might hear you say oh you know you didn't get paid off the bat but that's how it is that's how it is for a lot of people you're not going to get you know completely paid out of the gate so it's important yes. to sort of uh you know learn that early on as sort of one of those things to just keep in the back of your head um now when you got hired at Bleacher Bleach Report was Brian Oswald the one who hired you who was, who was the staff at the time and who were some of the writers on the site Oswald was
3: definitely the editor. I don't know if he directly hired me because there was, like I said, that featured columnist program kind of had a different guy running thing, running that particular program. So I know that I forget that guy's name. That's kind of sad. He was involved. He was involved as well, but Oswald was the editor. Uh, Dwayne Finley was there. One of the lead writers, which again is a full circle kind of deal. Uh, Jeremy Botter was there. Matt Roth was there. Jonathan Snowden was there. Those were kind of the top guys. And then Scott Harris there was a guy, Andrew Lawrence, who at the time was, like, really killing it for that. Like, he was one of the top, top guy Or Andrew Saunders.
2: Saunders. Okay. Saunders. Yeah, I was going to say, Andrew Lawrence Andrew is like Lawrence
3: middle easy. See, I'm talking to middle easy guys too much now. And now uh, yeah, he's just – Lawrence is popping up in conversations all the time now. Yeah, sorry. Andrew Saunders, sorry. Sorry. Uh, he, he was there. Um. Craig Amos may have been there, Matt Ryder, Nathan McCarter, Stephen Rondina. A lot of guys that are still there actually were there at the time when I got on. So really good team. I still think Bleacher Report has one of the best MMA teams in the business, man. They've always done a good job getting the right talent
2: talk about uh you know you and and Dwayne sort of you know developing this friendship cuz uh it, it's crazy like um you know i it's it started there and i remember actually seeing you i remember when Dwayne was first doing the road trip you i believe you joined him on the second leg or something like that cuz I, I remember Dwayne started doing some videos when he was at bleacher and i remember you being in one of them where you know how did you and Dwayne sort of click and and you know uh, maybe just kind of uh, give a bit of uh you know kind of um background on the on the road trip and how that sort of came together
3: yeah, man, that, that was funny. And to this day, I kind of asked my parents, like, why the hell did you let me do this? Like, why, why would you ever agree to this? But Dwayne, I honestly, the first time I ever met him, period, was when he picked me up to go on the road trip. Like, I literally went in blind. I, I maybe exchanged a few emails, tweets, whatever, like internal bleach report things. I was aware of him, but I certainly didn't know him by any means, you know. And he just hit me up. He was like, hey, man, the road trip. Obviously, you know, I was following the first leg of the road trip, too, being on Bleacher Report and everything. So I knew what was happening. But then he was like, hey, I'll be swinging right through Pittsburgh if you want me to pick you up. Like, let, let's do it. And I'm not one to say no to opportunities, man. Like, that's kind of a theme throughout this whole thing. When there's something there, I'll just say, yes, I'll try it. And it's and sometimes it works out like this, man. The, that first road trip Definitely changed everything, not just in getting my name out there, but the friendship with Dwayne and then also showing me a different side to the MMA media game. You know, the way that you can interact with fighters and be friendly with them and not worry about the traditional journalism construct, so to speak. A lot of that was just fundamental in my learning early on. So I think that was 2013, the fall of 2013. So i had been working for Bleach Report almost two years at that point. And yeah, man, that, that definitely changed it all from there. As they say, you know, it's kind of written from there. Dwayne and I have been pretty much inseparable since
2: then. Yeah, it's true. You guys are like the dynamic duo. And uh, it's cool to see that, uh, you know, MMA is, is, you know, this industry has sort of brought you guys together. And I didn't know that, that uh, you just met him on the road trip. That's, uh, that's very cool. Um, kind, of, kind of taking a step back from that, um, do you remember the first interview you ever did, uh, the first fighter you spoke to that you did an interview with?
3: Yeah, I know who I think it was, at least. I'll put it that way. Like, I'm not sure if this was actually the first one, but it was at a local uh, West Virginia event, and this is funny. It's funny that it's a name that people might actually recognize, too. It was uh, Josh Stansberry.
2: Oh, wow. Of course, yeah. Yeah,
3: he was fighting just on that local West Virginia show, and just randomly on the card, and I'll be totally honest. I mean, I really didn't know who he was at the time. I I got the fight card and was just looking at the names. I was like, hey, that – this guy won with a nice guillotine. I'll go talk to him. You know, I didn't realize he was going to end up being one of the top guys from the region and stuff. It was actually him, uh, Joey Holt, who is a boxer and he's dabbled in MMA. Actually, fought Julian Lane in MMA. So he he's really he's much better at boxing. Like his boxing career is really good uh, in Ohio. Joey Holt and uh, Hector Urbina also was one of the very first ones on one of those West Virginia cards. So it was funny to have some national talent there that I didn't even know. Those videos are still probably on YouTube lingering around somewhere, me nice. putting a flip camera in their face backstage. So yeah, man, th- those were the first few. And honestly, they're like 35 seconds long, I want to say. Like I didn't know, I, mean, you can tell I didn't really know what to say or how to do it. I got like three questions. I was like, all right, cool. Good job. See ya. You know, it was one of those deals. But eh, as you know, man, fundamental, just getting your feet wet, getting, going through the paces a little bit.
2: Yeah, getting those reps in, as they say. Um, do you remember which promotion that was that you that you uh, covered the event for off the top of your head? You said it was in West Virginia, right?
3: Yeah, it's, so NAAFS was doing some then, but it was also this Simon's. It was called Simon's Promotions, and they were called Cage okay. Power and Cage Fury. I want to say. Okay. They had, like two different so Simon's Promotions. That was the person running running the show. Man, they're surprisingly <laughs> awesome shows back then. Adam Milstead also met him through NAAFS, so that in West Virginia. So it's kind of funny. Now, seeing everybody that was on those cards, like, holy shit, I was was actually in something pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it it sort of all came together. Um, Now, as far as, um, you know, working at Bleacher Report and, you know, doing this, what were you doing? Like, were you still in school at the time? Were you working a job? What were you doing sort of on the side along with Bleacher Report? Because I imagine this wasn't like a full-time gig at the time.
3: Yeah, man, I was still in college for a solid part of the Bleacher Report experience. I graduated in December 2013. So actually, right after that first Bleacher Report road trip, I graduated. And, uh, but throughout college, I worked for Bleach Report. I worked for the school's newspaper. I was the arts and entertainment editor there. And then, uh, I also worked for a company called Idea House, which was online marketing, branding, uh, they called it creative communications as like a catch all. Cause they did a little PR, a little branding, a little marketing, a little, this a little social media. So, uh, they would just get clients in, in all fields. You know, they kind of leaned health and wellness, doctors kind of like dr phil types like doctors that wanted to be dr phil types so where the brand was very important and social media presence very important so we would kind of spearhead their communications and that that was cool man like that now at flow has helped me immensely that background and that so i was doing i was doing the marketing and communications with them doing mma with bleacher report and then doing the traditional kind of print journalism with the school's newspaper
2: now we'll get to the part 2 of your career because we talked about part 1 which was Bleacher Report. There there is the part 2 and then we'll get to the Flow Sports stuff. But um what happened at Bleacher Report when they went through some changes? I know Dwayne was let go and you know they they brought in Patrick Wyman, they brought in, you know, I think Sidney Jones. They brought in some different writers. What how did how were you sort of affected by that uh, with the changes because I know you ended up at MMA fighting shortly after that.
3: Yeah, that's that's exactly what happened, man. Exactly like you described it. They brought in what was – Patrick Wyman, Sidney Jones, and maybe Chiappetta as well shortly after. yeah. But when when they did that, they just had to clear clear space. I mean, that's how it goes, right? And I honestly, man, I hold zero resentment towards Oswald on that. We still talk to Oswald almost every day. You know, I love that guy, and he's helped me a ton. And like you said, he actually helped me land back on my feet because when he let me go, I was like, hey, man, like, obviously I disagree. You know, I'm unhappy with it. I feel like I should stay, that you shouldn't cut me, but – can you at least give me the names of like Dan Stubb or, you know, the email addresses, contact info, Dan Stubb, Brian Tucker, like give me some of the other guys so I can go somewhere else at least. Because it, it was funny, man. At first I thought that I was just going to be done, go focus on the idea house stuff and maybe work a different angle. And, and Dwayne kind of called me back in. He's like, dude, d- don't, don't stop yet. Like you can't, he kind of gave me the pep talk, you know, I, yeah, I was usually does. Yeah. Yeah, as, as Bo does with his pep, pep talks. So uh, one of the names that uh, Brian Oswald gave me was Brian Tuckers, and I hit him up immediately. And as luck had it, they were hiring two two positions, and it was myself and Danny Segura that they yeah. that they called on right after that. It was maybe a month or maybe not even a month out of it, you know. So there was really no downtime between Bleach Report and MMA fighting, but obviously – MMA fighting was the all-star team. That was like getting called up to the Pittsburgh Penguins, the yes. best hockey team.
2: I <laughs> <laughs> love the reference. Hockey references are always encouraged on here. Yeah, like there that. you go. So
3: it was. Like, though. It was, it was like joining Sid, Sid Crosby and, and, and Malkin and all those guys. So
2: it was awesome, man. Okay, interesting. Now, I actually remember when you got hired, because uh, believe it or not, I was on my honeymoon with my wife. And I remember I was, I was still trying to keep track of what was going on. And I remember seeing that you got hired. And I was like, Oh, that's good. Because I had followed your work at Bleacher Report. And, uh, you know, you, you ended up getting on the site with uh, with Danny, like you mentioned. Now, as, as this is all going on. So, you know, t- take me back to like, how did you find out that you got let go from Bleacher? And then how did you find out you've been hired by uh, by fighting? Like, how did that was that like a phone call and email? How did that sort of happen on both ends?
3: Yeah, I actually found out on social media, like, uh, oh UFC, no, I'm kidding. Like UFC fighters always find out. I didn't see <laughs> you tweeting about it, but, uh, no, man. Uh, so Oswald just called me, but Dwayne actually got fired. I don't remember how, how long before me, maybe a couple of days before me. So when he, when he told me he got let go, I kind of knew like the writing was on the wall, so to speak, that. Changes are coming, and my style is super similar to his. Obviously, the kind of work that I brought to the table for Bleach Report was very similar. So I had a feeling, and plus, kind of a funny aside here, I, I was coming off a vacation in Florida right when this happened. So all vacation, like the month of June, May, June, whatever month it happened to be, I did I had like zero output for Bleach Report. Like I wrote like five articles that month. So I'm like, I know this looks bad on me. Of course, I told Oswald and stuff, hey, I'm going on vacation. but. Yeah. At the time, I'm like, hey, if he's gonna let me go, like there's a pretty strong case now coming off this really shitty month. So that happened, he called, and as soon as I saw his name on my phone, I knew what was up. So I went in, you know, kind of obviously not happy about it, but uh, he just told me, you know, we're making some changes, you know, we're gonna have to let you go, whatever. And then that's when I said, you know, you got any names, got any leads. So when I hit up Brian Tucker, he immediately responded like, hey, yeah, just apply here. Like these are the two positions we're hiring for. I actually reached out to Chuck Mendenhall as well. I forgot to mention this, but uh, I wrote for Fight Magazine as well at the time with Bleacher Report and uh, did a road trip article for them and did a couple other feature interviews for Fight Magazine. But the way I got the Fight Magazine gig was one day I was in Barnes & Noble, picked up Fight Magazine and saw Chuck Mendenhall did this amazing Ben Askren feature. So I immediately hit up Chuck Mendenhall because I met him at events. You know, he's an East Coast guy as well from Connecticut. So... I met him in in Atlantic City and uh, Newark, New Jersey. So I had his number and I hit him up. I'm like, man, like, excellent work on this aspirin piece. This is the kind of work that I would love to do. You know, is there any way that you could just connect me with Fight Magazine? And and immediately he shot me the editor. The editor's like, hey, man, if if Chuck thinks you're good enough, then I think you're good (laughs) enough. Like, we'll give you a try. One of those deals. So when I knew I was talking to Tucker in MMA Fighting, I hit Chuck up again. So Thank you, Chuck Mendenhall. Two jobs you've gotten me in your life. Probably won't be the last. (laughs) And uh, I was like, hey man, I'm talking to fighting. If you could put in a good word for me, that'd mean everything. And Tucker was like, Chuck vouched for you. So if Chuck vouched for you, then I'm sure you're good enough. Like we'll we'll try it out. So that was kind of it.
2: You notice a common theme here in what Hunter's saying. And I, you know, it's, it's, it's that, you know, the second you wanted something, you went and figured out how to get it, uh, whether it's getting contacts and things like that. There are people in this industry who wait around and and expect things to happen. And, you know, in a lot of cases, you have to sort of see what's available, have to put some feelers out there. And if anyone can take anything away from what Hunter said so far, it is that you got to hustle and you got to, you know, see what the next step is. And I think uh, a lot of people can learn from this because I think there is an attitude with certain people in this industry that just expect things to come their way. And you have to sort of put that extra little bit of effort out there to, you know, sort of promote yourself. So I'm glad to, you know, I'm glad to hear that that's sort of what you did to to get these positions. Now, as far as being at fighting, what was the day-to-day like there? Because I know uh, from what I hear, you know, it's a bit of a grind, but I mean, you're a guy that embraces that grind uh, on a regular basis.
3: Yeah, man, it, it was. It was exactly what you said—a grind, man. They would. I had freedom to pretty much do things I wanted to do. Just had to run it by Tucker first. You know, if I wanted to interview somebody or I wanted to do, you know, whatever, just had to run it by him first. But otherwise, there were just kind of running threads where people would toss ideas or say, "Hey, we saw this floating out there. Does somebody want to write it up?" Because this was when they were first like making that that really strong uh like, social media fun kind of push where they would, like, show Instagram videos from a fighter or, like, do articles of just, like, a quick, like, Sage Northcutt bending a frying pan in half, you know, like, that kind yeah. of stuff. So, like, if you saw something like that floating on social media, but you couldn't write it at the time, you know, you just throw in a thread, like, hey, this is out there. someone wants to snag it. But otherwise, it, it would be cool, man. It'd be, like, Ariel or one of those guys would would get a lead that maybe they couldn't write up again and just kind of toss it in there like, hey, this is out there, you know, just just source me, do whatever, you know. So it, it was cool in that respect, but also a big part of it is the MMA hour, which I feel like all MMA, anybody who follows MMA journalism knows how MMA fighting uses the MMA hour, right? Like Ariel will do hours worth of interviews on Monday. And then throughout the week, they'll trickle out articles based on things that fighters said during those interviews. Super smart, man. Like, that that's repurposing content to a tee. It's, it's beautiful the way they do it. But the way that works is ahead of time, you know, fighters will sign up for shifts and, and basically say, you know, I'll take whatever, whatever Cody Garbrandt says on the MMA Hour. I'll turn it into three or four articles, whatever, something like that. So it's cool, man. Like, I really like the system they have. It's obviously worked out well for them. You know, they're at the top of the heap for a reason. So that that was it, man. The day to day was just like you said, a grind. You know, you're always on the watch looking for something, working on your own as well. You know, the few connections I had at the time, I was very on, on top of them, you know, getting the Adam Milstead interviews, the Cody Garbrandt interviews, Kevin Lee interviews, the ones that I could get, they were excited about.
2: Yeah, no, that that that's definitely for sure. Now, were you getting to do as much writing as you like? Because a lot of that is, you know, like you said, just repurposing content from the MMA Hour. But were you still finding, uh, you know, sort of a space for yourself to to do some writing? Because I remember you writing a few things, but I, I I don't, you know, I don't remember if it if it was sort of uh, to your liking as far as how much writing you could do personally, uh, you know, with interviews yourself.
3: Oh yeah, man! Like there there were no. No limits on that as far as that's concerned. I was definitely doing as much as I wanted to. And also, I think I was still writing for Fight Magazine as well while I was still alive during the same time. So they were cool with that, which is awesome. And Fight Magazine, man, like those are the articles that I wish we could get online somehow or get like the I, I think those are some of the best things I've ever written. And, and I feel like three people maybe <laughs> have read them, but uh, they're out there like they, they exist. But uh, yeah, man, as far as uh, no limits or anything like that. No.
2: Okay. That's, that, that's good to hear. Now, as far as, uh, you know, you being at fighting and then, uh, you know, flow, flow sports comes around and they create flow combat. Um, how did this sort of, uh, come together with you, uh, you know, leaving MMA fighting Cause a lot of people would not leave that position, uh, you know, at fighting and, uh, you know, take something else. So what was it about the flow sports gig that uh, enticed you to, you know, join their, their marketing team?
3: Yeah, it, it was money <laughs>
2: you know? yeah.
3: straight up. It was money. Um, I was actually writing for Flow Combat towards the end. Flow Combat launched in April 2016, and I started officially full-time with Flow Combat in the marketing role in July 2016. So from April to July, I was just freelancing for Flow Combat while still writing for MMA Fighting, which is crazy in retrospect that MMA Fighting was cool with that and both sides were cool with that. But I was doing for Flow Combat things that I couldn't do for MMA Fighting. So Fighting took priority and then if I just had something that they were like, oh, we can't really use that, I would take it to Flow. So that that was how it worked at the time. But then in July they created that content uh, marketing coordinator position that I have now, and just the offer, man. I mean, you know how it is in, in MMA. Full time salary positions with benefits—they don't exist. So like yeah. when, when when one comes up, yeah, I had to, I had to sacrifice a lot of the writing and the things that I like to do for it, but. The offer was too good, and those options are still there. So I just bounced on it.
2: Now, when you were at fighting, and you mentioned, you know, having that other marketing job on the side, like, were you were you just a full time freelancer at the time, or or did you have that other marketing job? Like, what was like, or or was the the Flow Combat gig the first like official full time thing you had?
3: Yeah, Flow Combat was the first official full time salary deal that I had. I freelanced my entire life uh, during college and after college up until July 2016. I was just freelancing, so. Throughout all of it, from the beginning, Idea House was there. Like that that side marketing was always there up to Flow Combat. So yeah, okay. I, I was constantly on that side hustle with that. Uh,
2: was there anyone you sort of talked to at the time about making this decision? Because, you know, money is great, but uh, were you ever sort of worried, you know, would this sort of impact my career making a lot like, a, it wasn't even a lateral move. It was more of just like, you know, uh, trying something different, but also, you know, you get to do a bit of writing with, with Flow as well.
3: Yeah, yeah, man, it was. And and of course, I discussed it with my family, my girlfriend, everybody just making sure they, they were all really excited about it. Because I'm sure parents like primary concern when a kid is just freelancing, making a couple hundred bucks every month, you know, where is this going? Like, is this ever going to be a career? So then you see something that really looks like a career. They're, they're all for it, you know, and Uh, My girlfriend probably had to deal with it the most because, yeah, I I did have to sacrifice a lot of the things that I like, like writing all the time. You know, I I love to write, and obviously I knew that would be getting scaled back. But what saved it all, again, is Flow Sports' structure, A, and B, Dwayne's direction as the editor of Flow Combat. Having that relationship with Dwayne has made all the difference because I'm still free to do whatever I want. You know, if I want to write a feature story, I'll just write the feature story. There's literally nobody who's going to tell me not to do that. As long as I still get everything else done and take care of my work on on all the fronts, there's no limit to what I can do. So that was very appealing. That was a very appealing uh, dynamic with Flow Combat.
2: What does your day to day look like as far as your position uh, with you know the the marketing stuff and then also your writing? Like uh, I know it kind of differs. I have a general sense of what it is because literally I'm pretty sure you and I talk almost every day, just whether it's you know with content on the site or whatever. But uh, for for those at home, you know what what what's sort of your day to day look like.
3: Yeah, yeah, like you said, man. It, it involves a lot of talking to you and Dwayne. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of coordination on that front. You know, we have different documents in place where I can track everything. But it's making sure articles get up on the site, making sure they get promoted properly through all of our social properties. I do the email newsletters. I set up ad campaigns for them. So uh, the biggest thing about Flow Combat that I, I think people mostly know this now or have realized this now, I should say, is that we live stream our own events. You know, that's pretty unique to an MMA site. And a big part of my job is making sure that those events get promoted, that they run smoothly, that all the content's there for them, et cetera, et cetera. So I make ads for those events a lot. I try to think of fun ways to kind of shine light on these not-so-known names. You know, when you're dealing with people that not a lot of people know, you have to explore other avenues. Like, oh, this guy fought you know, a UFC veteran in, in when he was an amateur, you know, that's, that's fun. Like maybe you should check this guy out. So you start reaching or like this guy has six straight knockouts. Like, yeah, maybe you don't know his name, but he's probably going to knock this guy out. So that's fun. So doing a lot of research on regional fighters on that level is a part of the day to day, but man, super social media heavy. As you know, I'm tweeting Facebooking Instagram all the time with Flow combat, uh, graphics, all those quote templates, or, like the quick hitter videos, things like that. You know, I'm making all those assets. So, that's a big part of it, too. And that was something that I had to totally learn for Flow. You know, I had very, very minimal Photoshop and video editing knowledge, as you know, because you've helped me with yeah. a lot of the video editing, too. So, I jumped in. I was like, I don't, what does the play button do? I don't understand. You know, so. Okay. Shout out to you on that, man. You had to sit through a lot of the growing pains on that. No, it was
2: it was good. You were you were a quick learner. Actually, Dwayne was too. Uh, it's you know, and again, I went to school for for editing, so it's kind of something that I've always had in my back pocket, and it's been you know very easy for me to do a lot of the content I produce because I know how to edit. Um, but it's it's a good skill to have, as I'm sure you know. Now, as far as, um, you know, you talked about, you know, doing the social media, doing the graphics, what is your role with the other flow sites like, you know, flow grappling, um, you know, all the flow wrestling? Like, are you, because you're a flow sports marketing coordinator, are you, is your hand in those entities as well, or is it just flow combat?
3: It is actually just flow combat. You know, I think my official title is with flow combat not Flow Sports. Even though Flow Sports owns Flow Grappling, Flow Wrestling, Flow Combat, owns all of them, the roles are very defined within each vertical. They call them verticals. So, well, I stick to Flow Combat solely. You know, I will work with Flow Grappling or Flow Wrestling guys. For instance, when Ben Askren's fighting on Flow Combat for one championship, obviously I'm going to talk to the wrestling guys like, hey, can you help us, you know, promote this, whatever. And, And vice versa, you know, if an MMA guy is doing a grappling tournament like Submission Underground, you know, on Flow Grappling, they get a ton of MMA guys on those shows. And Chael, obviously, the promoter and owner of SUG, So there, there is cross-promotion, but as far as me directly having a hand in their day-to-day, that doesn't happen at all.
2: Well, with the fact that this is, uh, you know, this is the MMA industry podcast. We talk all about stuff going on in MMA, but uh, this is on Fightful. And Fightful, uh, you know, we cover uh, pro wrestling as well. So I have to ask, and I know you don't have a, a ton of involvement in that, but uh, Flow Slam uh, obviously didn't work out with the site. Um, you know, what, what was sort of your relationship with them? And did you know much about what was happening over there? Because uh, as far as my work with Flow Combat, I didn't know anything about that. It was just Flow Combat only.
3: Right, man. Yeah, that that was a crazy situation and really unfortunate. And as far as, as, far as I knew them, you know, they're – content marketing coordinator, basically who did what I do for Flow Combat for Flow Slam. His name was Austin. And I worked, I actually like, he shadowed me because he came on after me. So right. when he first got hired, I kind of helped onboard him to teach him the stuff. So I liked Austin a lot. And he he was really good at what he did too, which it makes it further <laughs> unfortunate now. But uh, yeah, I mean, he would be in the marketing meetings every week. You know, we meet every
1: wow i could really use current i also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales i guess i'll just go to their website at current.tech
3: monday just to discuss strategies and things like that but uh he would be there and i would literally see him but i talked to him maybe once a month okay. and above him i think you know brent brookhouse was the senior editor for those guys and I literally. Don't think I talked to him once when he was at Flow Slam. So the the evol- it's crazy because everybody thinks, like, maybe we know the ins and outs of every other vertical. That's just not the case. And which further complicates it is that I work remotely from Pittsburgh, and they're all in Austin, Texas. So right. I don't see them every day. There's no mingling. You know, we stay in our lanes and keep our eyes on our own duties and, and keep our head down on that and focus on that. So with Flow Slam, man, I – can legitimately say i have no idea what went down there
2: when you're having meetings because i know you have them i don't know how often you have them do you have them daily or how how often do you have sort of like the team meetings as far as uh, you know what's going on and everything is that is that daily or weekly how does that work
3: yeah they're weekly yeah okay. we have weekly team meetings and then we have one-on-one meetings so me with like my direct boss we have a meeting every week so there's two two weekly meetings and then there's a flow combat weekly meeting so like people on team flow combat so to speak will meet once a week so that's Three weekly meetings all together. And that, it's honestly enough, man. Like, it's crazy the way the remote work life has been facilitated by, it. like, Google Hangouts. Like, right now, you can just do stuff like this. And it, it's been incredible, but it also helped because Idea House, when I worked for Idea House, that was a remote job as well. The owner actually lived in California the whole time. So I would meet with him, you know, pretty much every day we would Skype back then because he was constantly helping me out, teaching me, you know, I was fresh out of college, student went from an intern to like kind of a full-time gig with them, but it was always freelance, and uh, so I kind of understood the way to work from home, from the jump, which is very important, maybe as you're learning now, man, you're transitioning to that work from home life. So that's fun. it's different, right?
2: Yeah, it is, yeah, it very much is. And uh, you have to really, um, I, I just always have this mentality, like I have to make sure I'm doing more than enough just in case something happens. Like, you know, cause there's no like, like when, when I had, when I worked a nine to five, when I was, and I had full time and benefits and all that stuff, you know, if I was sick or something, I, it didn't matter. Cause you know, that was covered. I had days to cover that, but now it's like, if I don't work, I don't eat, right? So you gotta, you know, you gotta kinda keep that in mind as well too. So it, it, is, uh, it is a lot different. Different. Um, one more thing, sort of on the meetings and stuff. So, you know, Willie Saylor, that's uh, I imagine the, you know, because he's he uh, is the head of content for is it flow sports? How what's his role as far as because I know we we you know we talk to him a lot as far as the stuff at combat.
3: Right, yeah. There are so there are just kind of divisions, so to speak, between the verticals. So the managing editors will just oversee a couple verticals. I want to say like four or five, could be could be more than that. I'm really not sure. But he, so at there's Dwayne and then above Dwayne will be the managing editor. And those managing editors just kind of make sure everything's going smoothly, that the content's good on every site, and coordinate the meetings just to get everybody together and discuss. So they're like just that next level of defense and oversight.
2: Good stuff. Um, what, what's in store next year for Flow Combat? I mean, uh, you know, I've heard rumblings of you know potentially another road trip. Um, you know, what what uh, have you been told anything as far? Because as, generally, I am curious too. Because you know, I talk to you guys a lot, but I, I obviously want to. You know, I think our audience too would like to know uh, what's in store for next year because we're, we're coming to the close of 2017.
3: Yeah, we are, man. 2017 has been amazing, and 2018 is just going to build on it. You know, I feel like. You look at 2016 to 17, there's a massive jump there, just what we've accomplished and the things that we've rolled out, the different plans. But uh, I'll, I'll drop you some nuggets, Lynch, since I love you. You know, I'll yeah. spill the beans a little bit, so to speak. But uh, Dwayne and I are going to be starting a, a little daily daily type show, daily morning show. You know, we toyed with that idea a bit in 2017 with the morning update, but we never got in a full groove with it. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna have something real slick, branded and nice rolling out for that. So we're gonna take the lead on a little more video content. We're not pivoting to video fully. <laughs> you know, we're not gonna yeah. not pulling a Fox Sports on you. Not jumping
2: off the cliff yet.
3: Yeah, don't, don't worry about that. But we are gonna make an effort to do some more of that stuff. And like you said, the road trip, man. We're always one wild hair up our ass away from going on another road trip. And the way the way we see it right now, uh, Canada. We, we haven't been to Canada yet, so maybe that'll be the next one. Maybe we'll revisit somewhere we've already been and try to do a more in-depth kind of deal because, man, the road trips, as much as I love them, the, the thing that when I look back I wish we could do more was just dig in more at each location. You know, we're there yeah. for a day, and it's just flat out not enough time to really do what we want to do at each stop. And, and even though we can get six, seven, eight interviews, I – I'm personally interested to know what one interview would look like if you just did a road trip Albuquerque, you know, and it was five days in Albuquerque. Like, what would that piece of content look like? So I feel like that's something that we could absolutely crush, would be really fun that I, w- I would love to do. So that might happen. But, uh, yeah, man, the road trips are always there. We might even do another weight cut challenge or something silly like that because we like to have fun. So the, that was crazy. And everybody loved that. So, you know, we'll keep our eyes open to fun stuff, too. We're not afraid to humiliate ourselves, man. As you know, fighting Mm -hmm. Cub Swanson and Hannah Scoggins, I'm not afraid to look silly on camera. So uh, we'll get into some uh, wacky stuff, I'm sure.
2: And that's the stuff I love about uh, working for flow and, you know, being part of the team is we're, you know, very outside the box. Cause you know, there is a need in MMA for your MMA junkies or MMA fightings do the hard news, the, you know, the standard interviews and stuff like that. So it kind of gives uh you know, flow a little bit of space to do some, some outside the box stuff. And I'll never forget that uh, that video you did with the referee, the wrestling, uh, the, the, the wrestling referee, where you tried to imitate him going across the floor. Like stuff like that is awesome that you yeah. never see on like an MMA junkie, you know?
3: Right, right, man. And like you said, there, there is definitely a need for MMA fighting MMA junkie insights like that yeah. but something we realized early on and it helped me working for MMA fighting Dwayne working for MMA Junkie briefly we knew right off the bat we would never beat them at what they do you know right. you're not going to come in as a new kid on the block and do that better than they already do it you don't have the resources you don't have the manpower and you don't have the experience to pull it off so we were like we're not going to try to do that like let's just carve our, carve our own lane do what we do Dwayne and I are kind of different out there trippy kind of kind of dudes anyway, as, as they'll say. And, and we like to have fun, man. We like to drink beer and have fun. So we're like, why don't we just bring that to MMA media? You know, as far as we can see, nobody is being that real right now. So we're just cutting all the fat away and saying, let's do it the way we know how to do it. And people have really responded well to it.
2: One thing I really think is cool about the way you guys kind of cover things is, uh, you know, you'll see fighters, like, reach out. Like, I saw the other day Dwayne posted something, I think it was Sav- with Savage or something like that, and, uh, you know, like, Calvin Gaslam's like, commenting, like, that's stuff you don't see with other journalists and you know people might think that's crossing lines but the way the way you do that and you keep it sort of in your lane is you know you, you do the reporting you kind of keep it there but you develop sort of a you know kind of a you kind of get to know them on a personal level and that's where they see you as as both a journalist and you know a friend to a certain degree but that's where you usually get the best content and I think that's so cool like there's so many times where you know Duane will post something on Instagram and you'll post something and you'll see like a fighter chime in and that's when you know like you've kind of got them on that level and, and I think that's uh that's very cool and, and a very neat way of uh, sort of reporting in my opinion
3: anyways yeah man and that's kind of what i alluded to earlier on that first road trip when i said Dwayne kind of showed me a different way to do things and that's exactly what i'm talking about is that i'm coming straight out of college well i was actually still in college about to graduate at the time with a traditional print journalism degree coming you know And, and everything he was doing was not by the book you know he was breaking literally all the rules of journalism you know like dude you just had a beer with jim miller and like Called, called him a fuckhead or something. <laughs> like, yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: Just did that. Like, are you kidding me? But the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, dude, like Jim loves it. Like, this is create. This is how relationships work. Like, this is how normal people act. So he, he breaks down the walls of, of traditional journalism when he, when he creates these relationships and it makes more meaningful stories when it comes time. You know, I, I always try to put it like this. Like, if somebody were to write a biography on my dad, I would want it to be me. You know, I'm probably the most biased person ever about my dad, but I guarantee you I will capture who he was better than somebody hired to come in, study him for two, three months, and then write a book about it. You know, you're never going to know what I know about him, period. So, I, and Dwayne, you know, obviously it's not to that extent. He's not living with these guys and things, but the way he's breaking it down and seeing their true selves, I feel like that's why his stories hit on a more emotional and meaningful level is because he's seeing that real side of them.
2: Yeah. No, I I agree with that. Um, what has been sort of your biggest accomplishment so far in your career, whether it was an interview, whether it was, you know, maybe getting hired at fighting or getting hired at flow. Like, is there one thing that sort of stands out for you?
3: Ah, man, honestly, I, it's the most cliche shit ever. And now I sound like a fighter, like giving these PR (laughs) answers, but I feel like the best is still to come. You know, every year I try to challenge myself and do something better than, better than I did last year. But, uh, the very first road trip with Dwayne again, you know, seems like every story leads back to that road trip. But uh, the story I did for Fight Magazine coming out of that, I feel like was the first time that I came out of my shell kind of as a writer and and found my groove in in that way, writing that style and those kind of themes. Um, Getting the Cody Garbrandt, like I feel like um, my success is partly owed to Cody Garbrandt, (laughs) like the rise of Cody Garbrandt, because I was talking to him, you know, before he was in the UFC, I interviewed him several times and, and he was always, man, like a, anytime you need something, just text me, hit me up. And he would always answer my texts and interviews and everything. So his whole rise up to the title, I felt like I was right there every way. And, and the Maddox Maple story, you know, that, that was a huge one. That's one that I would definitely say i super proud of it. Somebody in his camp, man, I don't even remember who it was, but somebody like tipped me off to the fact that Cuddy was working with that Maddox Maple and like being a part of this kid's life. And I wrote that story for, it was either MMA fighting or Fight Magazine or both. I know I did something for Fight Magazine on them, but I can't remember if it was before or after Cody's debut in the in the UFC. But uh, e- either way, like that whole Cody Garbrandt Maddox Maple saga story rather saga, jeez story was was instrumental, I think, for me coming up for people kind of noticing who I was. And to to that end, I still don't think people really know who I am. Like I'm not trying to say it like that like, there's still that climb, you know, you still want to get out there, get your face out there and, and do more, so.
2: we got about 15 minutes left on this show, and I wanted to leave uh, plenty of time for questions if anybody has any. Uh, I don't think we've got any yet, but I just put out the distress signal uh, so people can uh, to get on there. Um, the uh, People are asking about net neutri- neutrality, um, you know, the whole thing that's going on in the States with, with that. Are you familiar with that at all? I mean, we should probably talk a little bit about it.
3: Oh, man, I wish I was familiar at all with it. This is, man... When I get out of my league in conversations, I literally just withdraw myself. Like, I'll never be that guy trying to talk about something I don't understand because that just creates more confusion and chaos (laughs) because you're giving away hashtag fake news and stuff. So I don't know enough about that to talk about it. I I got nothing on that, man. I'm sorry. (laughs)
2: What would be sort of the best advice you could give someone that's looking to get into the industry, uh, you know, whether they're just, you know, in college or maybe they're, you know, someone that's sick of their nine to five and they want to, you know, start writing about MMA. What would be sort of your best advice?
3: Definitely just write your balls off or interview your balls off. You know, if you want to do things like Lynch does, the video interview, I mean, you've set the standard for that time and again. It's like, I feel like you were always the guy doing that. And now you're like that guy times 10, like (laughs) took something you were already the best at and then got better at it. And it was like, damn this guy like nobody nobody's catching you with that but uh like you know like you said earlier man the repetitions like if you don't have repetitions not i mean you may be naturally talented you may be like you write 5 articles a month and they're 5 great articles but until you start doing an article every day or something to that level you won't get the attention of the sites that will be looking to hire people you know volume's very important and then you know once you carve out your spot you can pull it back and focus on the things that really matter to you. And and once you've established that for yourself, but repetitions, man, volume, reaching out, man, like you said about networking, like I can't emphasize that enough. I I was glad that you uh, specifically highlighted that because I didn't realize that all of my stories were, were going that way. But when you said, I'm like, yeah, he's right. Like that's, that's really all it was, was that every time I got an opportunity, I wasn't like, Hey, yeah, I did it. I was like, okay, now how can I use this as the next step, next step, next step. So always be looking ahead and always be looking to network. If somebody says, hey, you know, we appreciate you reaching out, but we just don't have space or we feel like you need to work on this, definitely don't just give up. You know, there's a million MMA websites out there right now. I'm sure somebody will find find something you can do for them and take that opportunity and then grow with it, man. Like definitely get out there, try. The biggest thing that I always think is funny is when people are like, oh, I just, you know, I can't find my space in MMA. And I'm like, well, who you, have you talked to? And they're like, I I've tried this one guy, but that was it. You know, he said I wasn't good enough or whatever. And then I just kind of figured I must need to work more or something. It's like, no, just try. Like, have you actually tried? So that's step one, try.
2: <laughs> yeah. And and I think one thing that uh, people need to do, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, there's certainly a place for if you if you want to give your UFC picks or your predictions and stuff. But that market is so saturated. Like, you always have to remember, like, why would someone want to hear your opinion on fights as opposed to, you know, Luke Thomas or someone who's like, you know, established or people, you know, have known really well. So I think, you know, people make that mistake, too. They'll just focus primarily on UFC content when there's so much other so many other aspects of MMA that need to be covered. And yeah, you're not going to get the clicks that you would if you were, you know, getting a big name interview, but it still needs to be covered. And, and those are the things where it comes back, you know, later on where, you know, let's say you do interview someone on the come up, they might end up going to the UFC and they'll remember you.
3: Exactly, man. That see, that is so true. You know, never think that you're above anything, you know, you're not above any work. Even now, none of us are above any work, you know, every fighter's story matters in my opinion. And, and they all deserve to be told equally, you know, they're sacrificing everything. And a lot of times the regional fighters are sacrificing more. You know, when you get to the UFC, the pay is better. The sponsorship opportunities are better. The gyms are nicer, et cetera. So it's not that they don't grind just as hard once they're there. Cause they absolutely do. But the, the fact remains that being a regional fighter is almost more of a risk or, you know, more honorable in a, in a sense. But, uh, yeah, man, that, that's super important. You know, just go out do it, man. Don't, don't do what everybody else is doing. And also don't consider yourself a specialist right off the bat. Don't say, oh, I'm, I'm great at post-fight breakdowns or whatever. And then just do post-fight breakdowns. Like, no, spread your wings a little, find out what you're actually good at. And, man, like the flow, I feel like the flow combat gig is a perfect example of that because I straight up, I don't get that job if I can't write news, write features, interview fighters, do social media, do marketing. If I don't have that whole toolkit, I don't get that job, period. So if I went in saying, oh, I'm a features writer, they would have been like, well, we don't need a features writer. Like, we need this guy who can do a little bit of everything. And I feel like that is where the landscape has shifted now, is where you need to be valuable in more than just one way.
2: We're going to go to the chat here. Uh, our good friend, uh, Ed, uh, I don't want to butcher your last name, but you know what I'm talking about. Ed, who always uh, tweets us at Flow Combat, uh, he, he asks, um, when do you think uh, you'll, you'll do the morning show in 2018? He wants to know a little bit more, I guess.
3: Very soon in 2018, Ed, whose last name shall remain anonymous, but what's up, Ed? <laughs> no, but even...
2: it's, 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 uh, it's, it's Carbajal. You know who I'm talking about, right? On Twitter. Oh,
3: that's, that's honestly not the one that I thought it was. I thought you were talking about a different Ed. So, okay,
2: no, no. Yeah, my, my apologies, Ed. I just didn't uh, want to picture it, and I probably did there, but, uh, oh, but that's man. okay. He Ed answered Car- this question.
3: Hall. Car- Hall is the best, dude. I-, I love that guy. We met him actually through a Flow Combat Fan Fest in New York City. So that was cool. It was actually the first one we did for UFC 205. So that was funny. Uh, and, and man, the morning show is gonna start very early 2018. So not not like January 1st early, but <laughs> definitely the first quarter of 2018, we'll get it
2: rolling. And if you guys need to fill in for that show, uh, I know someone who lives in Toronto and uh, yeah. you know, has a lot of free time. Anyways, um, the, uh, uh, we, we got a question here from Big Baller Brand. He says, how do you guys feel about bigger websites not giving smaller site writers credit when they break stories? I mean this is something that's been going on for a while I do notice it's getting a little bit better but uh, I do take issue with it only because it literally takes a quick Twitter search to find out if news has been reported and to say oh I don't follow this person I always check Twitter first if I have news or I see a story breaking that's usually my go to some stuff gets, does get missed but I, I feel that that is important because that's how you know people end up breaking news and they get a reputation like our friend uh, you know MMA Kings Nolan uh, King you know he's he's done a great job of breaking news and I feel like now he's starting to get the recognition uh, what, what's what are your thoughts on that?
3: Oh yeah, man. Nolan's the perfect example there. It's one of my least favorite things about MMA media is when that happens, you know, I feel like there's no place for that, man. Uh, Like you said, it takes one search to figure it out. And a lot of times things get missed. The worst is when they get missed, they get called out and they still don't edit their story. Like like th- this isn't printed in newspaper anymore. You don't have to wait till the next day to offer your, your change. Log into the site, go the CMS and add the link. Like that's literally all you have to do is add the link. But I feel like a lot of time egos get in the way or they'll split hairs and be like, oh, well, I did it independently. It's like, oh, that's cool. I just invented a light bulb in my backyard on my own with my own resources. But you're not going to say I invented the light bulb, right? Like, I don't care that you got it on your own. Somebody beat you to it, and I'll give them credit for it. So that's how I feel about it, man. I feel very strongly about it, as you can probably tell, because the print journalism background, first of all, hammers that home. But second of all, I just think it's disrespectful, and it highlights exactly what you said. They're going to say, well, what am I supposed to do, credit every small site that says anything on Twitter? Like, yes, that's how sites become not small anymore. You know, if you never acknowledge them, then they're never going to get off the ground. So, yeah, do it.
2: Uh, Joy Tremendous in the chat says MMA Kings constantly gets jacked on his breaks and then they don't give him credit after they get called out. Well, actually, he got credited today. I don't know if you saw this, Hunter, but uh, Leota Machida is going to be fighting uh, Eric Anders. And uh, uh, MMA Kings actually got a nice uh, little credit there on MMA fighting. So that's good to see. That's what I mean by I think things are changing a little bit. I know, especially for Nolan, he's done such a good job lately with breaking fights uh, over the last year and a bit uh, that I think people are just forced to, you know, you they, they can't hide any longer. This is a guy who's been, you know, breaking a lot of different stories. So um, it's, and it's a tough gig. I mean, you know, if, it's 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 not easy to get you know a couple you know to, to have sources that'll trust you it's not easy to you know be 100 percent accurate on things so you know i commend those who are putting their neck out there and trying to trying to break news and everything like that so uh, that's certainly important um as we wait for some more questions to trickle in i wanted to ask you what are some uh, of the biggest mistakes you see people making in our industry whether it's you know how they conduct themselves on social media or maybe the way they're going about you know covering the sport What what are some things that sort of stand out to you
3: the biggest thing to me is just negativity in general. I don't like when people are just trashing UFC cards or trashing fighters when they're down or trashing this and that, you know. It's funny, and and it gets a lot of retweets and all that. You know, it gets a lot of engagement when people do that. Oh, this is literally the worst UFC card I've ever seen in my life, you know, and it's funny. Like, some people have made it their gimmick, so to speak, and it works for them, but the negativity, I just feel like, doesn't have a place or getting hypersensitive about being biased towards fighters, like cheering for fighters, I don't... There's nothing wrong with that to me. You know, I feel like most of us got into this as fans. Like, I started as a fan. I'm never not going to be a fan of this in all likelihood. It would take something really drastic for me to be like, oh, I'm done with MMA completely, you know. I'm still a fan. Like, I'm going to cheer for dudes. I'm going to root for dudes. And I'm going to, you know, say, wow, that was awesome, you know, great job. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So I feel like the negativity and or the feeling that you can never – Show your true self out there because then you break the mold of being objective, so to speak, which objectivity to me is bullshit anyway. It doesn't really exist. So, yeah, that's my feelings on the matter. But, yeah, man, the negativity is the biggest thing. I can't stand the people on Twitter who are just constantly hating or doing this and that being, you know, stop talking to this bully and and, and things like that.
2: Yeah, I I, I see that a lot. And, uh, you know, oftentimes if you look at that person's account, they're they're tweeting several people throughout the day, you know, just talking, complaining, you know, talking about just, you know, things that they're, they're not happy with. And I mean, that that's someone who clearly has got their own issues and they're projecting onto others. And and that's something you always have to remember. I have people that I have to mute all the time. I I get it a lot. I mean, like, you know, I get a lot of good feedback, but then i get the idiots who say you know they're nitpicking or they're saying this and that and you just have to ignore it i think that's the biggest thing sometimes i'll feed the troll just because you know you want a little bit of entertainment but I, I tend to try and avoid it as much as i can because uh, you're just going down that uh, really unfortunate uh, wormhole um, i did want to get to another question here kyle volkman who uh, by the way you can follow on twitter at volk styles uh, he's been doing a great job with uh, the ufc fight pass stuff just kind of letting people know uh, what's coming up and he asks uh, what's the most challenging part as MMA media in reaching out to fighters and setting up interviews? I'll let you answer this first and then I'll give you my take.
3: I think literally knowing how to reach out to the fighter is the hardest part from my perspective. You know, like if you're starting from the ground up, you have to kind of know the framework. A lot of times you have to go through their managers and understanding how to balance those relationships can be very tricky. You know, at, if you text a fighter, say you get the fighter's phone number from his manager, you do a great interview with him, you hear something else down the line and you text that fighter or you call that fighter that could get you blackballed by the manager right there he could say you know i don't like you going around me to get to my fighter something like that so there's there are a lot of tricky dynamics where that's concerned i feel like just getting in though it, and being trusted is probably the hardest part you know proving to the managers hey when i talk to your guy the article isn't you know, it's not going to be a horrible article talking about what a shitty guy this is. Like, you can trust me with this. So, building that trust and building those relationships, but then managing those relationships is the hardest part. And also, for new people especially, because you got to keep in mind, you're now playing catch up with guys who have been in this game for ten years. You know, guys like Ariel who have been talking to these managers forever, and has them at the drop of a hat. You know, and has the platform that is appealing to them. So, he if Ariel says, "Hey, I want your guy on MMA Hour." Of course the manager wants his fighter on the MMA hour. It's going to be seen by millions of people. So it's tough, man. You're constantly playing catch-up.
2: Um, one thing I kind of wanted to add on this is I think there's got to be a bit of realism here. I, I see, uh, you know, guys starting out that are, you know, tweeting Daniel Cormier or Max Holloway trying to set up an interview. Like, first off, don't ever tweet a fighter in public. It looks super unprofessional, in my opinion, to set up an interview that just doesn't look good. Ask someone, I always tell people this, ask someone that's interviewed that fighter before and, and see how they got them. If there's a manager, always go through the manager first. Managers can be a pain in the ass. Um, I sent you that screenshot last week of that manager that uh, expected me to do an interview at the drop of a, a drop of a hat and this fighter wasn't even anything special but uh, you know you do you do get stuff like that but uh, in general um yeah go through the manager and uh, you know build build those relationships and build those contacts you know a lot of times hunter and i'm sure you have the same thing i get interviews given to me just because i have that relationship and people know i'm not going to try and you know make a clickbait article or try and make the fighter look bad so there has to be that trust built but be realistic you know i i say this all the time you know there's a lot of prelim fighters on the ufc that don't do enough interviews and uh you know they, they need to be you know they're not doing media day at, you know this weekend at UFC Winnipeg so hit those guys up find out who their managers are if you don't you know maybe go like a private route you know whether it's you know send a private message on Facebook or Twitter or something like that but don't don't make it in public and uh you know those are just some like simple rules that, that I kind of uh you know see people making uh you know on, on sort of a regular basis um we've hit two o'clock here but we started a bit late so uh, we will kind of carry this a little bit longer I'm just going to check the chat see if we Got uh, anyone else uh, saying anything here? Um, does it bother you? Okay, here we go. Here's one here from Keyboard Warriors MMA. It says, does it bother you guys that writers like that guy in Detroit who crapped all over the 218 card is allowed a media seat above real a real MMA writer? Um, I mean, here's the rule with the UFC, and, and I'm sure you know this too, Hunter, is that if you're a big outlet, um, if you're a newspaper outlet, you'll automatically get accredited to a UFC event because the way the UFC looks at that is they think that, you know, this is someone who is a, uh, you know, it's coming from like a legit outlet. So if you have your own MMA website and you might do great work, it's they're still going to take the, you know, the, the legit, you know, Detroit star or whatever. I don't even know what that outlet that was that that guy got accredited to, but that's sort of how they operate. So that will always stay in place. That's just the way the UFC is. So yeah does it bother me that he goes there and he, and he craps on the card I mean I think he was my issue with that guy was that I think he flat out gave misinformation uh fake news as you like to say when he said that the Eddie Alvarez and uh, Justin Gaethje fight wasn't entertaining I mean come on like you know you could be Stevie Wonder in the front row and you still know that fight was entertaining like I just uh, you know
3: yeah so the sound of the crowd al- alone that you know that that fight was entertaining man That that's exactly kind of what I talked about earlier with the constant negativity, the people like that who will constantly try to find spin it in a negative way. I genuinely don't think that guy believes what he wrote. You know, I don't. And on that level, I have a problem with it because I, I don't, I don't agree with writing shit just to write it. You know, I don't think you should ever just write for clicks. So I think that's what he did. But why I ultimately don't have a huge problem with it was that, it really highlighted how ridiculous he looked, you know, the community was on point and was tearing him up, you know, in that way I feel like it's almost good that he wrote it because then it showed, it highlighted the problem, so to speak, you know, it kind of let everybody know, Hey, this guy's a jackass. So I like that he kind of made his own bed in that regard. So, yeah, I mean, did he steal that seat from a writer who really deserved it as the question states, you yeah, know, probably not really, I doubt I doubt anybody who was going to do a ground, groundbreaking piece of news from that seat got passed over for that guy.
2: And by the way, I should point out too that you don't necessarily need credentials to to get good content from from a UFC event. I think there's a sort of a a false uh, narrative out there that you have to go to all these events to do it. I mean, a lot of my interviews I do from the comfort of my own home. I mean, it's just a matter of, and you know, I do Skype interviews and, you know, even if you're a writer, you can call the fighter and, you know, write something up. So you don't have to necessarily be at the event. Sure, you're not going to get, you know, the the, the fresh reaction, but I'll give you a quick example and I'll give him a quick shout out here. Uh, Nick Baldwin, uh, who's, uh, you know, a friend of mine, a very uh, young kid, uh, 17 years old uh you know works for bloody elbow bloody elbow is is, as i'm not sure if most people know does not get ufc credentials there's a whole issue there it's been going on for years i won't get into that maybe i'll save that for when i get one of the bloody elbow guys on here at some point but uh, he got so many interviews this week already and i mean we're we're doing this on thursday the the event uh, ufc on fox 26 is on saturday nick went to the fighter hotel and and just you know found fighters and did interviews with them that is how you get content You don't need press credentials. Nick doesn't have press credentials, but he sat in the lobby and he was, you know, getting guys down. And, you know, of course he has relationships too, because he's, uh, you know, worked with, uh, you know, managers and fighters before, but that's how you get content. It's not by, you know, expecting that just because you're going to, and here's the thing too, if you get media credentials and you go to like a media day, Hunter, you know, this, you only get an hour. You don't get to talk to everyone. It's tough. So you have to kind of pick and choose. So sometimes it's better to sort of take initiative and, uh, you know, find other ways of getting content that, that isn't just the traditional uh, going to an event and covering it. So trust me, going to events isn't the be all end all. It is important, but you can still get content otherwise. Um, we've got one more question here and then we're going to – I'll get you out of here, Hunter, because I know you've got a lot of work to do. Um, our, our last question comes to us from Vince. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at uh, Deterrified. That's an interesting name. He says, how does MMA media find their sources for breaking news? Um, I know for my end, uh, usually it comes from, you know, managers or fighters themselves. That's, and then again, that just comes with years of developing relationships. I mean, I've had it where, you know, I, I knew a PR guy that, you know, had this, like, I remember, uh, you know, breaking uh, a story of a fighter signing with the UFC and, you know, you got to be careful about this because you don't want to be wrong. So I had one source telling me that, you know this fighter that had fought under him it was signed to the UFC and then i heard from one of his teammates that this was the case so that's two sources so then i was able to say hey this fighter signed with the UFC so that's sort of an example of how you get sources but i would imagine that's sort of the, the same way you you've done it Hunter as far as uh, you know getting sources it's just you know knowing fighters and managers you have to build that relationship absolutely
3: man that's the only way i know how to do it but also i guess an element to that that we can't pretend doesn't exist is that a lot of times it'll just get spoon fed to you. Maybe not us personally, but a lot of times it comes straight down the pipe from, you know, a manager just saying, Hey, this is happening, you know, where there's really no work done by the journalist at all. And they're just like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks for telling me, you know, if your platform's big enough, maybe they see the value in that. Like I kind of alluded to earlier. So that, that happens as well. There's a lot of spoon feeding. And, uh, but as far as people actually going out, getting the breaking news, I mean, it's just like you said, it's all based on relationships. Do they trust you? Can you reach out to them and get a response? And then can you verify it with a second source within that camp or, you know, that fighter's personal life, however it may be. So, yeah, that, that's kind of how it goes, man. There's no secret formula to it. There's no, like, breaking news forum where you just kind of pick up on tips. It's just all relationship-based.
2: That's it for the show today, Hunter. I got to thank you, man. This was a lot of fun. There's a lot of stuff I learned today. Uh, it's funny, you know, we talk all the time, but there's uh, stuff that I didn't know about you that I, that I got answered here. And I hope this was a uh, really informative for our audience. So it was, it was great having you on the show, man. Uh, just uh, let people know anything you got coming up for flow combat for flow sports, anything at all that you want to plug, uh, take your time, uh, let people know where they can find you on social media and anything else, man, the floor is yours.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely, dude, and ditto to you, man. This was awesome. Getting, I see why fighters love talking to you. It's a supernatural conversation. That was perfect. But uh, as far as following me, you know, I'd I prefer you just follow Flow Combat. So we're at Flow Combat everywhere. F L O Combat. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Go follow us there, and you'll see me on there anyway. So you can find my my profiles through theirs. As, uh, as far as things coming down the pipe, man, the thing that I feel like people sleep on all the time. We we touched on a little are our events. You know, it's not UFC caliber names, but it's UFC caliber fun, man. And I'll take that to my grave. You know, I feel like these fights are, they're crazy shit happens on these fights. Like things that you won't see in the UFC, partly because the UFC fighters are more skilled and won't let this happen. And partly because it's super young, hungry fighters just going for broke, man. Like the fights are genuinely fun. You know, I think you should definitely check out some flow combat events. If you haven't yet, don't, don't go in expecting UFC level skill levels, but just go in ready to be entertained. You know, look at it like entertaining. And then once in a while we do like Eric Anders was on Flow Combat before he was in the UFC. So once in a while there are those guys who come through and you're like, holy shit, this guy's on a different level. So it's fun if you're into that prospect watch scene as well to kind of keep an eye on who's coming up. But yeah, man, that that's Flow Combat's always got the events. Like I said, in twenty eighteen, we're gonna look to do that morning show. We're going to look to do something pretty fun with uh, Dwayne's son, Savage Atticus. I'm sure if you guys follow Dwayne on, on Twitter or any social media, you've seen his son pop up here and there. But we got a fun series kind of planned for him. And we we just posted his reactions to the FC Top 10. So our FC Top 10 is like the top 10 knockouts and submissions that happen on our event. So it's kind of like a highlight of the month. And we posted uh, Savage's reactions to it. It's hilarious. Like Just watching a 9-year-old kid react to these crazy finishes is really fun. But uh, the series we have with him coming up is not that, something separate. So there's something fun with him coming down the pipe as well, man. So that that's it. Go follow Float Combat and keep up
2: on all of it. And I gotta quickly plug one of the events on Flow this weekend because I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, KOP 59, which is in in, uh, Michigan. Uh, Kevin Lee's brother, uh, Keith Lee, bantamweight fighter, two and one. He just made his pro debut this year. Uh, You got to check him out. He is, uh, you know, Kevin Lee talked about it there in the the media scrum at UFC 218. He is a couple fights away from what he believes is the UFC. Uh, Keith, a very talented guy, only 21 years old. So uh, check that out. And also, uh, UFC veteran uh, Terry Martin is going to be headlining the card. So I'm looking forward to that as well too. And uh, everyone, you can always uh, hit me up on Twitter at lynch on sports that's l-y-n-c-h on sports uh, i got a lot of content for ufc winnipeg including both headliners robbie lawler and rafael dos Anjos. i talked to them months ago uh, right when this fight was announced so you can look for that on sports net and then i got a bunch of content for fightful uh Flo- uh <laughs> geez i always forget which outlets i work for it's fightful uh fan-sided and full combat they're all apps so it's very easy to, to find all the content on there so i uh, just check that out um and by all means guys if you like this show i want to hear your feedback ways we can improve it ways we can make it better uh this is still uh You know, we're still a couple episodes in, so always looking to to improve. And i got to thank Hunter once again. This was a lot of fun. And uh, we'll see you next week, uh, Thursday, 1 o'clock, hopefully. Uh, I'm trying to keep this as consistent as as we can. But uh, thanks, everyone, for watching. See you next time.